Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. It's so good to see your beautiful faces. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. And I, I want to tell you, you chose probably one of the best Sundays to be a part of what is going on here. And I want to talk to you about a couple of things that I think uh, is pivotal for us. We're right in this week two of a series called The Monster Inside Me. And I'm going to dive into that in a minute. But before I do that, I just kind of want to remind some of us that have been here for a few weeks or months or maybe even years of why we exist as a church. Our, our mission, the reason that we, we're here, there's only one reason, and that's to help connect people who are far from God to life in Christ. That's, that's our hope and our prayer. And, and I think a lot of people are, are terrified to walk through the doors of a church because they feel like a church just wants something from them, and that couldn't be further than the truth. In fact, we want something for you. We really do. In fact, we really want four things for you. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And I think a lot of times we, we overcomplicate that, and then we make it about some huge, enormous task that seems impossible. Because if you're like me, and you, you've got some, some messed up past, or you've got some, some issues in your yesterday, then it can seem overwhelming to try to get to a place where God is actually doing something good in our life. But we, we want to boil that down to just taking a simple step. Another way of, of saying it really could be said like this is we just want to help you kind of turn the page on the chapters of your life. And just one page. We're not trying to turn 15 or 20 or make you perfect. None of us are perfect. In fact, some of the most jacked up people I know are sitting in this room. So put your purse under your seat right now. Be careful. No, I'm kidding. But we just want to help you turn the page. Maybe, maybe the last season was amazing. Great. We still believe that the next season can be even better. Maybe the last season was rough or really tragic. Well, let's help you turn the page. And, and one of the best ways to do that is celebrating life change. And we do that periodically on Sundays that we call Baptism Sunday. And coming up on October 29th, we're going to celebrate that again. We bring out this really cool baptism tank and we put it right here and there's a sign up. And at the end of the service, we celebrate together this, this representation of a new life starting, of turning that page. And hey, look at me for a moment. Some of you in this room, it's time to turn that page. And I want to challenge you, maybe the next step for you is to sign up today for a baptism. October 29th, you can text the word baptism to the number on the screen. You can fill out the card in your seat and write baptism in bold letters. You can catch any of our, it doesn't matter. We want to help you get there. And we want to celebrate with you. And there's something miraculous that take, takes place in the waters of baptism. It's like this new thing switches in my mind that I am not the summation of my past. I am not who I was yesterday. I'm not perfect but I'm pressing on towards something that's bigger and better ahead of me. So if you haven't been baptized, right now, get your phone and text the word baptism. Maybe you've been baptized, it's been a long time, and you're like, you know what, I need to turn that page. Man, text, just text the word baptism and jump in. We will provide it. We'll give you a t-shirt. We'll provide everything that you need. We'll make sure you can change into your clothes and get looking pretty again. 
You can wash your hair. No, you can't wash your hair, but you're going to look great. Just put it up in a bun, ladies. That'd be fine. Be at the end of the service. You can go on home. But don't let anything stop you. There's something that takes place in the waters of baptism, and I want to just encourage you to join, join us in that. Can you do that? So if you haven't been baptized or you'd like to be baptized again, maybe you say, I'm going to start over new. You don't have to be a member of our church to be baptized. But I want to challenge you, make this the next step that you take. Can we do that? Is that cool? Well, I'm going to dive into this series. I've got a lot of information and a lot of things I want to share with you. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. I, I want to set this up, kind of tee it up, like where we're going. But i got to challenge you, man. I, this one's a rough one. And what I mean by that is not that it's going to be rough to hear, but it's going to be talking about some things that I think a lot of us really struggle with. And when I say a lot of us, I'm just going to be honest, me. And so even in, in preparing for this, this service today, I was just challenged of my own struggles. And, and as we said last week, underneath the surface of every human being, a, a monster is lurking. And, and that monster takes shapes in various shapes and sizes, and it, it rears its ugly head at the most unsuspecting times. And, it, and the truth is it has this incapacitating power over us. And the monster that lurks underneath the surface of each of us is different. For some of us, it could be fear. We talked about that last week. If you missed it, go back and get the podcast. I want to challenge you to listen to it. For, for others, it could be the monster of loss, or identity, or hopelessness, or regret. And what's terrifying about these monsters is not merely their existence, but the, the fact that the monster's existence is dependent upon what I feed it. And I, I think if we're being honest, most of us in this room would say, I, I, I agree, there's, I, I, there's things in me that, that want to do the right things or be the right person or be the best husband or wife or the best employee or student. And, and yet there's this thing underneath that seems to kind of be treacherous. And a, a great writer in the Bible named Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 7. And this is kind of like our theme verse. And, and he said, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. And I know... Most of us in this room identify exactly with that. He goes on and he says, I, I do things I absolutely despise. And so if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, then it becomes obvious that I need God's commands in my life. I need God at work in my life. And look, he goes on in verse 24. He says, I've tried everything. I think if, if we were to have a conversation over coffee some of you might say the same thing. Like, I've been trying to, to not walk in this kind of life for weeks or months, and some of us, years. I've tried everything and nothing helps. And look, look at this next phrase. He says, I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? But listen, we're not here to teach a series about hopelessness. We're here to teach a series about hope. For the future. I think an even greater theme verse for this series is Philippians 2.13. And, and by the way, you can text the word notes to the number we use it every week and all of our notes will be there for you. And here's a great thing, it'll be saved to your phone through an application called Uversion. So at any time you can go back and access these notes. And I, I just want to tell you, maybe if, if, if nothing else is heard today, this is probably the most profound thing for you and me. And that's Philippians 2.13. This is a promise for you and for me. And it says this, God will continually, 
continually. Relentlessly is another word we could use there. Aggressively is another word we could use there. Continually revitalize you. Implanting within you the passion to accomplish the good things you desire to do. And I think one of the things that terrifies me about the monster that lurks underneath the surface of so many of us is it literally sucks the passion for life out of us. And man, I, I don't want that for you. So in this series, what we'll do is look through the lens of fictional monsters and identify the symptoms, or rather, how we cope with these monsters. Because how we cope is evidence to the fruit of the monsters at work. And another scary truth is the fact that some of you don't even realize this monster is wreaking havoc in your life. But the good news is, I believe that we'll discover God's hope for our lives. Destroying the monster and the power of the monster on the inside and unleash your greatest potential. And I don't shy away from that, your greatest potential. Often as a communicator, when you say phrases like that, people in the audience begin to tune you out because this sounds like a motivational speech or a kind of get well or get better or kind of figure out. And, and yes, unashamedly, it is. As I, I don't, maybe you don't want this for yourself, but I want you to experience and walk in your greatest potential and not bound by the monster that lurks underneath the surface. It's why I exist. It's my personal calling to awaken destiny in the lives of people. And I think one of the greatest hindrances of destiny and purpose is that monster under the surface. So we're going to talk about this today before we dive in. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me? And as we do so, I would ask that as you're seated and where you're at, that you would actually just kind of let this prayer echo on the inside of you. That you wouldn't just sit here in the seat to just go through another service. Maybe you got dragged here by a good friend. I don't, I don't know what it is or why you're here. I don't know what you're walking through. But I believe at the core of who I am that God desperately wants to do something unique in each of us. Not only unique, but miraculous. And the crazy part is we get to choose whether or not we allow him to do that. So God, we just thank you that you're here. We echo the song we just sang that there is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. Nothing that we face, nothing that we're up against is greater than your heart and your hope for us, your purpose for us, and the potential that we are called to live in. So God, today, through the lens of monsters, would you help us to identify the things we need to adjust and rearrange so we can be the people you've called us to be? In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, the monster we're talking about today, and again, we'll only briefly talk about these fictional monsters more as a launch pad, not as a, a purpose to focus on. But the monster that we're talking today about today has very two real sides to him. You probably have heard of him. His name is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One man has the monster under the surface, and it's barely containable. He was an extremely smart doctor who got into some trouble and found out that there were real, two very real sides of him. And if not kept at bay, Mr. Hyde would emerge. And the decisions that Mr. Hyde would make would cause catastrophic destruction. And the scariest component to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is that Dr. Jekyll can't see the destruction until after the fact. 
Until after Mr. Hyde has kind of gone back under the surface and now Dr. Jekyll is back to normal and now he sees the destruction, he sees the catastrophe, he sees the problems that were wreaked havoc by this unassuming monster underneath the surface and now Dr. Jekyll is left with this overwhelming sense of the monster which we'll really talk about today and that is the monster of regret. The monster of regret. Now last week we spoke about the monster of fear. Which is actually a feeling. It's an emotion. And the difference between fear and regret is the fact that when we feel or experience fear. We often cope with the feeling of fear in unhealthy ways. And you can find out more about that through our podcast last week. Whereas regret is not a feeling initially. It's actually learned behavior that we use to cope with our poor choices and negative feelings. It's a reaction to feelings as opposed to a feeling that causes reaction. We're pulling resources from uh, some great study and research called Restoration Therapy. And I'm working with a, a gal in our church who has her master's in psychology and she's helping us craft these. So this isn't just my insight and ideas, but according to restoration therapy, regret stems from a violation of love or a perceived violation of love. It stems from this, from a a core belief that I believe many of us actually walk through. This is what stems or causes regret in our life. And that core belief could be thoughts like, I am unloved or unlovable. I am unworthy or insignificant. I am worthless, devalued, defective, inadequate, unappreciated, judged, or unwanted. So those things are on the inside of us. But then we cope with it through the coping mechanism of choices. And those choices often lead to regret. Let me illustrate this for you if I can. Perhaps there are some young women in here today or old women in here today who may have grown up in a home where they felt unloved. And in order to seek out love, I became promiscuous. And as a result, most men in my life responded to this by loving me only for what I could give them. And this leads me to feeling rejected and I begin to tell myself that I am, in fact, flawed. And as a result, I continue to seek male approval and people in my world, in my life, begin to label me and judge me and I feel unaccepted. And again, I begin to think that maybe I'm too far gone. If these are the labels in my life and this is the way that I'm constantly treated, then maybe it's not just a feeling, maybe it's a reality. So I resolve that this is, in fact, as good as it gets, and I keep making the same decisions, and the cycle continues. Now, my friends, this is the exact same cycle for just about any kind of addiction as well, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or pornographic addiction. This is the way that it works in our life, and it can stem from these feelings, and the regret causes us to continue to make the choices, or perhaps in here you felt insignificant your whole life. Now I have a job interview that I feel inadequate for, and as a result I become anxious, and I botch the interview. 
And others in my world respond by being disappointed in me. And now I continue to feel defective. I tell myself that I can't do anything right and that there's something wrong with me. And every time I think about it, every time I replay the interview, I regret missing the opportunity and it reminds me of how I feel defective. So as a result, I become hopeless that anything can actually change. And I just stop taking risks. And I marginalize my life. Or perhaps some of us in this room grew up feeling defective because we never felt connected to my dad. Now I feel defective as a father and I don't know how to connect with my kids. And when my kids try to connect with me, I think about all the ways that I've not been available like I wanted to be. And now I feel unworthy of their love. Because of this, I withdraw. I stop connecting with my own children. I continue to rehearse the mistakes that I've made in their life. And it causes me to continue to withdraw. And now I can't even connect with my own children. I don't know if you can relate to any of these cycles, but let me just put it as plainly as I possibly can. For so many of us, we have these feelings of maybe being unloved or inadequate or unworthy or defective. And so I cope by making poor choices. Because I've made poor choices that I know I'm better than. I could have done better. I could have lived differently. I, I should have chosen differently. But I just, I already made it. And now I regret my choices and so I begin to shame myself and I feel unloved and inadequate which leads to making more poor choices. Can you see the cycle of regret at work? And if you're in this room, and and I I must be honest, this is a, a monster that lurks underneath the surface for Pastor Kerry. If that's the monster in your life, you hate it. And it feels overwhelming and invincible. And and I I would be willing to to bet that as you even walk into a place like a church and you see other people who appear strong or successful or godly or maybe even at your workplace, when you see other people that appear to have it together as if they seem to be able to make the choices that you so desperately want to make but can't seem to do, you probably continue to feel inadequate and defective. And like Dr. Jekyll, who was very aware of his other side, you feel fake. Like you're not even really who you are. And so then how do we respond? Well, we keep it all a secret. And we go to great lengths to hide it. And the truth is, we don't want anyone to find out, and at the same time, we desperately hope someone does. Because if they do, perhaps it'll rescue me from the prison that I'm walking in. And let me tell you why the monster of regret is terrifying, and I think this is the reason it's most terrifying, is that if I allow it to stay at work, if I allow it to surface in my life, rehearsing the things I should have done differently, I could have done better If I allow that monster to win, then eventually I'll take on the idea that the mistakes and missed opportunities in my life actually are my identity. So in other words, it isn't about the choices that I've made or the feelings that I have, but it's just who I am. I am defective. 
I don't just feel unloved or unlovable. I actually am unlovable. I am unwanted. Which, my friends, has a cause and effect in every relationship that we have. So then what do we do if we feel this way? I mean, well, how, how do, where do we go forward? If, if you're here, man, and maybe, maybe even at this point, like I told you before, this one's a heavy one, and you're thinking, yeah, that's me. Can we stop talking about it? Well, good news. We'll move on. Because so you might feel like you've made mistakes. If Literally, if you're like me, every time I walk to this pulpit, it's almost the same thing every time I stand behind this speaker I watch the video begin to end, and I carry my iPad, and about right here, this thought comes across my mind, Carrie, you don't deserve to be at this pulpit. If people knew the choices you've made, they would leave every time, every time. And I get to choose if I let that monster win in my life or not. You see, for some of us, the scary truth is we feel like that's normal, and it's just me, and that's not true. That, my friends, is a lie from the enemy. That is not God's truth and hope for you. Can you put the scripture of Philippians up again from the beginning of our service? I just want to remind you of this verse. Just to shut the mouth of the enemy. Look at what it says in Philippians. God will continually revitalize you. So when you're walking in the footsteps of whatever your life looks like and regret begins to rear its head, before I go on today and bring some practicals, I want to remind you that God will continually revitalize you in planting within you the passion to accomplish the good things you desire to do. So no matter what it is that you walked in here with today, I want to remind you you can begin making different choices. You can begin finding new opportunities. And I want to give you three practicals in the last few moments that we're together today. So if you haven't been taking notes, today is the time. And now is the time to begin taking notes. So how do I begin to deal with this monster of regret? Three things. And I want to start with what I feel is actually probably the most difficult component of them all. Number one, get it out in the open. Often the reason that we feel regret has to do with an area of sin in our life. We feel regret because we've made poor choices. And by, by poor choices, I don't just mean uh, the wrong decisions. I, I, or, or maybe, I, yeah, I do. Decisions that actually have a ramification of sin. And because we don't want people to know about that, we keep it hidden. And my friends, this is worth writing down. The power of sin always has been and always will be in the secret. Where does mold grow the best? In darkness. And as long as we keep that thing hidden, as long as we keep that thing secret, then it will grow and become even more and more destructive in our life. Now we feel like nobody can handle this because all our life we may have felt unloved or unwanted or defective. And you might even think that Jesus wouldn't or can't possibly love you and that couldn't be further from the truth. My favorite scripture of all time is, says this, that while we were yet sinners, let me paraphrase that in the Cary translation, in your darkest moment, when you made the most horrible choice you've ever made in your life, Jesus loved you more then than he ever had. While we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. But not only that, God has forgiveness for us, for all, for everyone. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We hear the word confess and we think of a, a wooden box that we sit in in the Catholic church and, and have kind of a screen between me and a priest and just kind of tell my woes or share my problems. Or we think of someone standing over you with the whip yelling, confess, confess confess as if to say this is who you are this is as bad as it's going to get you are a horrible atrocity but the word confess simply means to acknowledge yeah it's in me i've made mistakes it's that simple in fact the bible took away all the work on your part it's simply been done by who jesus is all we have to do is say god i'm not perfect will you forgive me and it's done in an instant and he dismisses it and he forgets it you see we rehearse it so we think that Jesus must be doing the same thing and he forgets it he can no longer see it because it was taken care of by what Jesus did for you and for me so if you man you want to kind of break the mold of the monster of regret maybe it's time to just kind of go to God and get it out in the open and the Bible says he'll forgive instantly but now what so I've got this junk out, but what do I do? What, this thing is still in me. How do I kind of get on track and, and start making better choices? Well, James actually explains how we can actually begin to do this. If I've got this junk on the inside and I've said, God, would you forgive me? He does, but now what do I do? James actually tells us what to do in 5.16. He says, confess, acknowledge to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And look at that. Pray also for one another that you may be, what's that word? Healed. I think that's what we want. For someone to come in and say, you know what? It can get better. Look at me in the eyes for just a moment. For some of you who are dealing with the monster of regret, the next step for you is to actually talk to somebody about it. This is what I've been doing. I've been hiding it. And I know that that notion is terrifying. But you may be just one conversation away from freedom. You get to choose, do I want to live with the monster of regret or experience healing? You choose. So step one, get it out in the open. Number two, fight the right battles. Everybody say, fight the right battles. Come on, say it one more time. Fight the right battles. Fight the right battles. A lot of times we, we're fighting the wrong battles and we're wasting energy doing things that seem right, but they're not the right things. So I just want to tell you, maybe for you, one battle to fight is stop doing the wrong things before you start doing the right things. If you're here and maybe you're struggling with a drug addiction, before you try to get your life on track, the best first step is to stop doing drugs. Before you try to get everything in order and get everything back in place and be the best employee, the best spouse, the best father, the best daughter, the best son, let's just stop with the drugs first. And then we can work on the rest. If you're here today and you, you just regret your parenting skills, you feel like you've been absent as a father, 
or you feel discouraged because you feel like as a wife, over the last three years, you focus more attention on your children than you have your husband. Well, the next step isn't to be the best father you can possibly be. No, just right now, stop neglecting and be present. Just be present. Be available. Maybe you're like, I don't know how to be a great dad. Well, the best thing you can do right now is hug your kids. That sounds silly. Okay. Try it. I love you. Be present. Put your phone down. Look them in the eye and ask how their life is. Turn off their YouTube channel. My God, it's the dumbest shows in the world anyways. <laughs> Eat dinner together today. So before you start focusing on the right things, just stop doing the wrong things. Another great battle to fight is today's battle, not tomorrow's. See, that's what regret says. Regret says, I never will. It's not possible. I can't get there. And you're right, you can't, but you can take care of today. Right now, right here, today. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next month. Don't worry about next year. Just worry about right here today. Today. Fight the right battles. So get it out in the open. Fight the right battles. And number three, daily lean into his grace. How did Dr. Jekyll keep Mr. Hyde at bay? If you don't know, it's okay. I'm not expecting everyone to know. This is a fictional character anyways. It doesn't really matter. He took a serum. He gave himself a shot every day. And that shot every day was what kept Mr. Hyde at bay. And that just rhymed. What the hey? I'm going to keep on. No, I'll move on. So there's some things that we've got to do daily that help us keep the monster of regret at bay. And one of the best things that you and I can do is daily lean into his grace. And I think that's hard for some of us because we don't even really know what that means. I love what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This just kind of helps capture this whole idea or concept of grace. This is God speaking to you and to me today. Check it out. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My grace is enough. A lot of times we think if we think better thoughts, it's going to help us. But at the end of the day, it doesn't work for us because we already feel like our thoughts are jacked up anyways. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. What that means is grace gives you the ability to fight the right battles. Grace gives you the strength to acknowledge the issues that you're walking in and the sin in your life. And it gives you the strength to say, hey, I need some help. And grace is never, ever dependent upon you. Never. You can't do anything to get more grace. And that's the, the good news for us today because we know the things that we've done to get more regret. But we can't do anything to get more grace. In preparation for this, to try to explain what grace is and how it works in our life, we were 
have a communications team. And I just I said, hey, let's find a great story. And one of our team members found this, this great passage from a book on God's outrageous grace. And this author had a real life experience with this. And I thought, man, I want to share this with you today. And I, I don't want to just try to re recapture the story. I want to read it with us today. Look at what he said. Let me take a drink of water first. He said, our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. And I'm sure this couple had the best of intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted child into their family of biological children. After a couple rough years, they dissolved the adoption and we ended up welcoming an eight-year-old girl into our own home. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World... They took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. And so, by the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World. She had heard about the rides and the characters in the parade, but when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this, I made plans to take her to Disney World. What I didn't expect was that the prospect of visiting this dream world would pro produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food that when, a, that when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. And she whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk her through the latest escapade. I know what you're going to do, she said flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? And though the thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the Magic Kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on earth. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment I was tempted to turn her fear into my own advantage. I was tempted to turn her fear into my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right. We won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded brown eyes wide and filled with tears. Are you part of our family? She nodded again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong, but you're part of our family and we're not leaving you behind. Now, I'd like to say that her behavior grew better after that moment, but they didn't. 
her choices pretty much spiraled out of control at every hotel rest stop along the way to Orlando. Still, we headed to Disney World on the day we had promised, and it was a typical Disney day. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, and lots of lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider perhaps going again someday. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted and pensive and a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and I asked, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. And after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. And that, my friends, is the message of God's extravagant grace. His grace isn't a favor you can achieve by being good. It's the gift you receive by being his. Grace is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you have nothing but the middle finger flipped to his face. It's the insanity of a shepherd who puts 99 sheep at risk to rescue the single lamb who was too stupid to stay with the flock. It's the love of a father who hands over the finest rings and robes to a young man who has squandered his inheritance on drunken binges with fair-weather friends. It's a one-way love that calls you into his family like an adopted child, not because you've been good, but because God has chosen you and made you his own and now he's chasing you to the ends of the earth to keep you as his child and nothing in heaven and hell can ever stop him that's the message of God's outrageous grace for you and if anything can shatter the monster of regret it should be that that nothing in your past can make you your path but God says you are mine and I would hate for any of us to leave this room today overwhelmed by, incapacitated by, paralyzed by the monster of regret. That's not God's hope or plan for you. Look at me. I don't care what you came in this room with today. I don't care what your past is, what your story is. Nor does God. He's been there every moment of every second of your life. And his grace is still just that good. It's just that good. How many of you would just be honest for a moment and just say, you know what? I struggle with regret. Can you pray for me, Pastor Kerry? Awesome, thank you. Can we just pray for a moment? God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace. God, some of the responsibility is on us to stop making poor choices, but that doesn't take away or change the fact that your grace is still sufficient for us. So God, in this moment, I just pray that you would lean in close as we lean into your grace. No longer bound by the monster of regret, but walking in the hope of a future. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. In a moment, 
when we go back into a time of worship, I'm actually going to have some prayer teams that are here and give you an opportunity if you just want some prayer. It doesn't mean you have the plague or that you're jacked up beyond capacity. It just means, hey, I need somebody to pray with me. We want to give you an opportunity because I know in moments like this, God starts to stir things, and sometimes we just need some prayer. And hey, look at me. Some of us in this room today, your next step is talking to somebody about the things you're struggling with. It can be the prayer teams that will be here. Maybe it's your connect group leader, your dream team captain, a pastor. Our entire pastoral team would love to talk with you. But don't carry this monster anymore. I believe God's greatest days are ahead of you. But before I go any further, every Sunday we do this and we will never stop. Some of you in this room have not fully received God's grace because you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. I'm not talking about joining our church or being a church member. I'm definitely not talking about getting your past perfect. I'm just simply saying yes to Jesus by going, God, I'm going to give you my life. I've tried it on my own. And in that moment, God comes in and does miraculously in a second, in a moment, what you've been trying to do your whole life. But there is a starting line. There is a start. It's not osmosis. It's not church membership. It's simply saying yes to Jesus. And that's it. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to challenge you right where you're seated, no embarrassment to you, to just simply pray that prayer with me. And let God step in and bring and show you grace in a way you've never experienced it before. Maybe you've never prayed this prayer, but some of you in this room have been running from God, and today is the day to come running back. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If that's you, you've never prayed this prayer, or it's time to pray it again for the first time, in a long time, just in the quietness of your own heart, just say this prayer with me. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. I've made some foolish choices. Would you forgive me? Now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.